0: Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to call in the spirits to be with us here today. So I call out first to the ancestors. I call out those who are good and true and beautiful in each of our ancestral lines all the way back to the first man and the first woman. I call out to all of these ancestors who lived well and died well and learned how to be here in the world in a good way. I call out to those ancestors who understood how to turn an a foe into an ally. I call out to those ancestors who understood how to reach and open the circle to form a greater whole that all might be enriched by greater diversity. And I call out to those ancestors who simply rose to the times they lived in, even though they had absolutely no idea what they were going to create. They simply knew by the forces moving in their world that something new had to be created. So I call out to these ancestors to be with us today to hold us well. Be here with us, the living, that we might do what must be done, that we might release the fears that bind us to old ways of thinking and doing and open up to the creativity that lives in each of our lives. I call out to you, ancestors, to hold us the living in this place, this particular place that we stand in the circle of life, that we might do what must be done for the descendants. And I ask you, ancestors, to be with us here today, that we might grow from your wisdom, that we might feel your presence, so that our heart is strong in our courage, and to be with us in those moments that we might falter and help us to go forward into the unknown as one great family of humanity. So I call out to you, ancestors, to be with us here today. Hold us well that we might reach down from our hearts to our bellies and out through our feet into the earth. And to give thanks for the wonder of this day and this amazing time in which we are living. We give thanks to the earth for the great beauty and the great tragedy of life. And for the fact that as long as we are breathing, we are capable of change and transformation. We give thanks to the earth for her wisdom. And all the wisdom of manifestation that we might learn from her how to live here in form in a good way. And in a way that is good for all living things. So we as the humans give thanks to the earth for home. For grounding, for belonging, for place, for the hearth and the fire that we circle around. We give thanks to the earth for connection and interconnection and for that great web of life and for that opportunity in those moments that we choose to to surrender into the oneness of all things and to know our place in this great web of existence here on the face of this planet so we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming in standing in the great beauty and miracle and wonder of this day we allow our energy to rise up from the earth through our bodies through our hearts and minds and out through the sky the atmosphere and out into the cosmos and all the way up to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name you know that power call it down Please call it down into yourself, into your life, into our circle, that we might be inspired and infused and filled with the divine energy that allows us to know that we are protected. Call in the blessing of this energy, the generosity, and all of the wisdom of the cosmos, that we might be inspired to be the unique individuals that we have each come here to be, that we are part of this great oneness, unique. And yet, the oneness will exist without us if we choose to not stand up in this life and do what we've come here to do. So we call out to that energy above to inspire us, to ignite us, and to help us to feel the protection and generosity around us that we might go forward and bring our own blessings to the world. So with the earth below and the sky above and these energies drawn into our body and merging within us, let us call out to the spirit of the heart to be with us here today and to be that powerful crucible that only the heart is, that can hold the fiery passions of below and the crystal clarity from above and bring the passions of the belly and the clarity of the mind together in the heart without destroying either but causing both to give of their essences that we might give birth to a third thing, and that is the knowing of our soul's purpose and that unique genius that we each bring to the world. As we call out to the heart to give us the courage to live that genius, to do what has not been done, and to bring our gifts so that the descendants have what they need. And those who are coming are able to have a world to bring their gifts to. So, I give thanks to all of these spirit energies gathered around us. May what needs to be said be said, what needs to be heard be heard, and that these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. And I want to give thanks to the people who make this show possible that help keep the show on the air. I want to particularly thank Lauren and Deborah and Beck and all of the listeners who have donated to the show since uh, we We were together last week. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it moves you in the heart in any way, not necessarily in alignment or agreement, but simply moves you, allow yourself to be moved into action. And this is the essence of a shamanic way of life is to allow our heart to motivate our actions in the world. So allow your heart to motivate you to act in some way to help the show to grow. If you would like to donate, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and donate any amount, large or small. It is all greatly appreciated and helps to keep the show on the air. And I ask you to do all of the wonderful things out there in the world of cyberspace that also help the show to grow. And that can be to link the show to your own site, to encourage people to listen to shows, and to help everybody know that the archives are resplendent with three years of shows, all free uh, for you to listen and to share and to grow and to talk about and hopefully to be inspired by. So I want to thank you all for listening, thank you all for donating, thank you all for talking about these things, and thank you all for the gifts that you bring to the world. So the topic of our show today is Occupy Love, Shamanism and Restorative Action. And this is the third in a series now of shows that we have been doing um, in response to the Occupy movement in our world. The show is live today you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org and if you want any further information about um, healing sessions, long distance healing sessions or classes coming up in the spring and summer, you can go to lastmaskcenter.org so, Occupy Love The breezes at dawn have secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are walking back and forth across the threshold where the two worlds meet. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. For those of you that don't know, that is from Rumi. Rumi. So for the last couple weeks, we've been discussing shamanism and the application of shamanism in various ways to the Occupy Wall Street movement. And I've been shaping this discussion largely, largely with the clear and excellent words of Reverend David Alexander of the New Thought Movement. And we have been talking about this in three phases, thus the three shows. So two weeks ago, we talked about the Occupy movement arising from a consciousness that was fed up tired and weary of the inequality in our world and wanting to take control. And um, in that first week, we had uh, the generosity of our guest, Lenore Norgard, who has many, many years of experience in uh, bringing shamanism into activism. And she spoke from her experience um, and how we might use that uh, today and in the months to come. And one of the most important things that Lenore brought up that I want to remind us is what we know from shamanism is that action in non-ordinary reality affects ordinary reality. In other words, actions taken with the um, co-created with spirit in the invisible world, in the shamanic journey space, affect what's happening here in the physical world that we all share. And similarly, what we also know from shamanism and shamanic healing is that while that is true, it is also not enough. That we as the humans, the powerful manifestation machines that we are, must make that change that's been miraculously in a certain sense created by our co-creation with spirit in the invisible world we must manifest that change through our actions our thoughts, our words and choices here in the physical world to put it very simply once the shaman brings your soul part back you need to integrate that soul part to reforge wholeness with that aspect of yourself and so this idea that actions taken with spirit in the invisible world affect the physical world is real not going to argue that any further it just is and it is not enough and that is one of the weaknesses in our efforts to bring spirit into this work is is wanting those efforts to be enough and they are not we still have to act think differently um act differently make different choices we will have to do things differently in the world and we ultimately will have to sacrifice that this is what must happen to create change and wholeness and this is what we know from shamanic work and so back to Reverend David Alexander so this first phase that we talked about with Lenora's help was being fed up and taking control and then the next step is very important because ultimately we want to be able to take restorative action so that our revolution, for lack of a better word, I'd rather just call it movement, um, actually creates true change, if not transformation, versus a new version of the old pattern, which we have seen throughout history all around the world, including here in the US. Okay. So, what is necessary? Uh, thanks to uh, Reverend Alexander's clarity in his blog that I talked about a great deal last week, what is necessary for the actions taken to be truly restorative and hopefully transformative is that we the people, we the movement, we the everybody, given this particular movement, ground ourselves in a greater awareness. We, We raise our consciousness around who we are. And what we talked about last week is we means I raise my consciousness about who I am, the internal we, the, the many voices inside the Christina head. So I raise my awareness of who I am, who we are in the sense of who are my people, quote unquote. But that ultimately we as the movement, we as the 100% change, raise our consciousness of who we are. And that I believe there are many, many people and many, many ways this is happening very effectively um, f- for those of us that are connecting to, to writings and, um, in cyberspace and actions in ordinary reality. And that this, um, this is part of what is happening right now. Part. Partly happening right now. And so last week's show was talking about how do you move from conceptual grounding to true grounding? To become a grounded person in the world. How do you move from the concept of clearing energies to truly clearing energies. To truly being able to move out of old patterns of thought, behavior, fear-based patterns. And begin to act differently in the world. And that when we, the whole we, the big we, can do that. Then the actions that are co-created then. Um, the actions that emerge can ultimately be restorative actions and transformative actions. So this sort of catches us up, catches us up to where we are today in this third show, which is about taking restorative action. And one of the things that is um, fundamental then, if we as individuals want to be able to take restorative action, is that we... In addition to whatever else you are doing, so in addition to whatever else I am doing in terms of my work in the world, what I might do relative to the movement, um, what I might do relative to the love of my partner, the time with my family, my garden that needs to be put bed for the winter, regardless of all of these things or with all of these things in my life, I must also do my practice. If we are to continually ground ourselves in a greater and greater awareness of who we are, an ever-growing awareness of who we are, then I must do my practice to get out of my own way and clear all of the old energies that keep me from awakening to who I am being called to be in this life. And so this is what I'm calling us out to do, in a sense, each one of us, is to truly rise to our greater good. And to allow those parts of ourselves that have been outmoded by our growth, those parts of ourselves that no longer serve us, not to just be carried around and ignored, but to truly be cleared and released. And this is what I mean, that we must be doing our practice now. We always, that's always been true for humanity, period. But now is absolutely critical if we are to manifest restorative action. And with that practice is also the practice of gratitude and generosity. That we cannot occupy love. We we cannot move to a place where we are co-creating of an entirely different system based on motivation from the heart. If we are not ourselves as individual people shifted into an orientation that focuses and um, moves through an awareness in life of gratitude for the life for the gifts life gives. And sometimes those gifts suck on arrival, and yet to live in a stance of gratitude anyway. There's many shows in the archives about this concept of opening the gifts that life has to give. How do we work with life as a teacher? But the important thing is that we orient ourselves and we do what is necessary. We clear what is necessary to orient ourselves to live in a place from a stance of gratitude, and generosity that we move and in in doing so we are thus positioning ourselves to naturally move out of a place of fear and self-service and that allows us then to begin to move into an orientation that generously um, serves the greater good and a greater whole. It's not service in the way that it 's been spoken of at least in my entire lifetime, which service is essentially something I, I give up myself to serve versus what I believe has always been the strongest calling for me in shamanism, which is you serve by doing your unique genius, your highest form of service is to give what you 've truly come into this life to do, and that is, and that so it 's more like enlightened self-interest but the But, the sense of this here is that is that I am you are we are generous of ourselves, we give our true gifts, and we do so in a way that hopefully invites and inspires that generosity in others and so, as I said, to orient ourselves in gratitude and generosity begins to move us then towards a natural organic sense of moving out of a um, a motivation of self-service and into um, serving, s- simply serving the generative principle of all life, and participating in that great web of life, and letting the the uh, responsibility for that interconnectedness of life to be the thing that motivates us over greed, profit, fame, stardom, whatever, 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 other things. Um, With all that said, there is a word, a beautiful, exquisitely, enormously motivating for me word that is now being thrown all over the place, which is not a bad thing, but we need to understand what it means. And many, many years ago, when I was 20 something and destroyed by the devastating end of whatever the last relationship was that ended, I was with my teacher, who was a really frustrating, annoying coyote teacher and confused me all the time for four years. We went through the blah, blah, blah of that relationship and what was the gift and all the tears and the angst and the drama. I mean, I was 20 something, so there was lots of drama. Blah, blah, blah. We're done. It's, you know, four in the morning, weeping outside at the fire, running out of wood. It's getting cold. And he's, he says, you know, so are you done? You know, Enough already. Are you done? Yes. And he says, good. Now your homework is to go into that file inside of you. Find that hanging file with love on the tab and empty it out. Take out everything you have placed in that file from your life experience and called love That is truly something else. And this he asked me to do this based on my my painful, raw understanding of what I had after the breakup of this relationship about what love really is or can be, I should say. Not really is, but what it can be in the world. And as always, I wanted to kick him um, and found him mean. But it was a great gift to do that homework and to spend the next amount of time in, a, in an internal process of looking at what I had filed in the love folder and to find how, how little was left when I took out everything that was really about all I had, had learned and called love from my childhood experience. And I had a reasonably good childhood experience, so I can't imagine what's in some people's files. So... What is left then in that file? Well, what was left for me was a memory, even younger memory of that time when, you, when many of us had, not everybody because some people had really phenomenally horrible childhoods. But a time in my childhood which, in which I was listening to the adults around me who didn't make a whole lot of sense, but they said very vehemently that God is love and that uh, God is everything. they were very very righteous and certain that that those two truths were absolute truths and my little child brain went oh well okay great but then if you follow the logic then love is everything i mean if you follow the actual logical equation that that sets up then love is everything and that's the essence of it and so from a very young age, my little child brain latched onto what is really at the heart of shamanic understanding or even a Taoistic understanding of nature, of life, of human existence, of, of the, the great restorative principle of life is that the energy that circles through everything and animates everything and connects everything and holds it all together in something we could call a web of life is actually love and we get narrowed down scoped way down on these tiny little heavily marketed media sung about dressed up dynamic of this tiny tiny idea of human romantic love not that there's anything wrong with that but it is a tiny tiny facet of what love really is. So in, in my community, we've started referring to true love to speak of that quality that animates all things, that is within all things, that, that it's the, the sticky part, the thing that connects it all, the thing that um, – the organizing principle in a sense, the energy that moves through it all and, and connects uh, the ecosystem of things. So we've started calling it true love. And and in terms of people, this is the energy that allows a person to behave as an adult so that the children in the space are free to be children. So it's a love that speaks to a kind of maturity. It's a love that speaks to a kind of balance. It's a love that speaks to a willingness to sacrifice for a greater good, a willingness to sacrifice personal desires in the moment for some larger picture, for the larger family. Of humanity and and beyond humanity for the environment in which we live. It's it speaks to that understanding of the relationship between things. And so when we talk about love and building an entire, you know, rebuilding the entire system of how things move through humanity on the earth in love, we are not being silly. We are talking about returning to a relationship-driven awareness of how things function, which is, frankly, returning to a more shamanic way of functioning. And it is also returning to a more Taoistic way of functioning, to to function in a more natural way, to function in the way that um, nature, that the plants, animals, bugs microbes, you know, that whole world moves through this constant cycling of life. And we can participate in that in a beautiful, ecstatic way, or we can destroy it entirely. And that is the frightening and awesome power of free will. And so this is, this is where we, the movement, where we are. Um, and I want to share a quote somewhat heavily, from a blog by Charles Eisenstein called No Demand is Big Enough. And this was actually from a couple weeks ago, so it's not most current, and hopefully you've read it. You can um, see this blog on Reality Sandwich, or you can see it um, at um Eisenstein, sorry, <laughs> eisenstein.net, um, under essays, I believe. Um, but the blog is about um, no, man, no Demand is Big Enough, so how do we issue demands when what we really want is nothing less than the more beautiful world our hearts tell us is possible? No demand is big enough. We could make lists of demands for new public policies, tax the wealthy, raise the minimum wage, protect the environment, and the wars, regulate the banks. While we know these are positive steps, they aren't quite what motivated people to occupy Wall Street. What needs attention is something deeper, the power structures, ideologies, and institutions that prevented these steps from being taken years ago, indeed, that made these steps even necessary. It is time to bring a countervailing force to bear, not just a force, but a call. Our message is, stop pretending. You know what to do. Start doing it. Occupy Wall Street is about exposing the truth, and we can trust its power. Charles continues, but is growth really what we want? Can we really cheer an increase in housing starts when there are 9 million vacant housing units on the market today? Can we really applaud a new oil field when the atmosphere is past the limit of how much waste it can absorb? Is more stuff really what the world needs right now? Or can we envision a world instead with more play and less work, more sharing and less buying, more public space and less indoors, more nature, less product? What else but love would motivate any person to abandon the quest to maximize rational self-interest? Love, the felt experience of connection with other beings, it contradicts the laws of economics as we know them. Ultimately, we want to create a money system and an economy that is the ally, not the enemy of love. We don't want to forever fight the money power to create good in the world. We want to change the money power so that we don't need to fight it. I will not in this essay, this is Charles, I will not in this essay describe my vision. Neither will I today, by the way, in the radio show. Um. I will only say that such a shift can happen atop an even deeper shift, a transformation of human consciousness. Happily, such a transformation is underway today. We see it in anyone who has dedicated their lives to serving, healing, and protecting other beings. People, cultures, whales, children, ecosystems, waters, forests, and the planet. So I strongly encourage you to read the entirety of this blog It's quite brilliant. Um, But the particular point here that we need to understand is that shamanic peoples did live in a system of exchange, you know, exchange of value, which is essentially a money system in its best sense. And one that was the ally of love and that understanding of this flow of energy that unites all things. And it was called by that energy it was um, energy, um, movement, action. It's sort of all those things together. It was called by many things, by many different cultures. The word that is most uh, familiar today would be Ainii which is a Quechua word. And the only reason it's most familiar today is because the Quechua people went way the hell up in the Andes where nobody wanted the land and, and that allowed their culture to stay largely intact. And so many people have been able to pay reasonable amounts of money to tromp up those mountains and go talk to these shamans and learn from them. And one of the many things, one of the many beautiful things we've learned from the Quechua people is this concept of Aini, which is a concept that, that lives, that, um, that co-creates, human life with four other concepts. So there's five that work together. But Aini really speaks to this reciprocity, generosity, this energy that is being called love in the movement. But it is really about living from a place of gratitude and generosity to behold the beauty in things, including yourself, and endeavor in life to keep the beauty flowing basically so that there's more beauty and enough for everyone. Um, So I believe that this is a point of the greatest power um, that shamanism brings to us in this moment in humanity's time here on the planet, that our shamanic ancestors give us this understanding and the teachings of Aini. However, um, However, it arises conceptually whenever people ask, how do I live and thrive in a way that is good for all living things? So this this concept, which I'll refer to as Aini today, to give it a name, to give it a word, arises out of our work with spirit, even if we have not been taught it by our shamanic ancestors. That if you as a person with a group of people asks, how do I live, how do we live and thrive, in a way that is good for all living things, you will get an answer, and, and over time, a collective answer that looks very suspiciously like I. Need. So this has been my experience with my community as we asked that question as a community and shifted back in 2008 uh, before everything fell apart. We began a shift from um, the realization of the incongruence of teaching shamanic ways and endeavoring to live in shamanic ways in workshops that were largely conceived of as spiritual consumerism. And so there was a huge contradiction there. And so that has been our experience is that in asking how do we do this in a way that is good for all living things? How do we learn these teachings and come together in a way that is good for the individuals and the group and the environment and the spirit world, the whole deal? We got a set of answers that eventually emerged enough for, able, for us to be able to say, hey, wait a minute, this sounds familiar, and realize that spirit was reteaching us the teachings of Aini. And get, once we figured that out, we just went to learn about Aini because why invent, reinvent that wheel? But it was really a beautiful moment to recognize the answers are still there. And spirit will give them again if we are willing as a group of humans to ask them. So the lives of many pre-contact shamanic people were shaped by accepting a law of universal responsibility, which means that everyone engages in the interchange of mature love, knowledge, and right work, and that they do so in a way that willingly acknowledges the interconnection between humans, the natural world that sustains them, and the invisible world of spirit. Our ancestors learned the actions necessary To live in a way, to live in this way by asking for spirit's help to know how. We can do the same again. They learned the moral standards that would shape those actions in life from spirit. And then they learned the ethical standards that would shape the ways between individuals and their culture. And in this way, the individual received what he or she needed to become an adult. And to celebrate the gifts that they brought to the world and to help them to shape a life of meaning in their elder years and to tend the newly released souls at death and escort them to the land of the dead. All of these ways the culture structured its cultural norms and its cultural role relative to the individual were driven by this law of universal responsibility, the the this understanding that they are part and parcel of the whole and that based on humanity's effect on the whole, we needed to come to understand actions, ethics, and morals, ways to be together that ultimately amounts to our culture that would allow us to be responsible in this interconnection of all things. And so my point is that As we, the movement, start asking for how do we do this in a good way, how do we occupy love, we need to understand that when people say, well, that's never been done before, you're crazy, is it sure as hell has been done before? It's been done all over this planet. And the bottom line truth for every single living person on the planet today is your ancestors did it. And they did it beautifully. And every single one of you, no matter your political orientation or how screwed up you think this movement might be, you have ancestors that knew how to do this. We all do. And it would behoove us now to learn to connect with those ancestors who understood how to live in Aini, that they might guide us going forward at this time. So back to Charles Eisenstein and his blog about love, really. He says, if Occupy Wall Street has a demand, it should be this. Wake up. The game is nearly over. Jump ship while there is still time. In my work, he says, in my work, I meet many people of wealth who have done that, exiting the money game and devoting their time to giving away money as beautifully as they can. And I meet many more people who have the skills and the good fortune to earn wealth if they want to, but who likewise refuse to participate in the money game. So if I sound idealistic, keep in mind that many people have had a change of heart already. And part of the reason that I am including this lovely blog is because I get accused all the time of being idealistic. And I get written off constantly because I'm just a shaman and what do I know? And that's fine to write me off uh, for the moment. Uh, But the reason I'm bringing in these readings today from other people's work is I do not stand alone. And I know that. And I hear the thoughts and the feelings and the words that come through my communications with spirit and my own work, my own work with community, echoed all around me right now. And that is an exciting time. And so I'm including other people's words. Perhaps what I have to say is not so easily discounted. So Charles continues, though no demand is big enough Yet equally, any demand we would care to make is also too big. Everything we want is on the very margin of mainstream political discourse or outside of it altogether. Any demand that we could make that is within the realm of political reality is too small. Any demand we could make that reflects what we truly want is politically unrealistic. Shall we fight hard for something we don't even want? It's fine to make demands, But the movement cannot get hung up on them, much less on practicality, because any remotely achievable demand is far less than what our planet needs. Practical is not an option. We must seek the extraordinary. Our job is to take a stand for a world that is truly beautiful, fair and just, a planet and a civilization that is healing for a politician or a financier even a small step in this direction takes courage for it goes against the gradient of money and all that is attached to it i think that the task of occupy wall street is to provide a context for that courage a call to that courage with each step taken the necessity of far larger steps will become apparent and along with them the courage to take them One of the things that happens constantly as people work with spirit, even before these last few years, has been, well, that that answer, that beautiful answer I just got from spirit isn't practical. But the truth is, for my entire lifetime of shamanism, for decades, the answers to our questions have felt impractical, and yet they were the true answers practical and impractical is not the issue we must seek the extraordinary and with the help of spirit we can and this is the thing I am reminded of in my moments in my dark moments which come with some regularity um, given the size that I dream at I'm reminded constantly by spirit you are not alone and when people co-create with the help of spirit not randomly But with a strong working relationship with spirit, i.e. a shamanic working relationship with spirit, when people co-create in a strong working relationship with spirit, the extraordinary becomes the ordinary. The impossible is yesterday's task. And the reality that we create is better than we could have ever imagined. So here is a journey question. You can journey to anyone you choose to, but I suggest the inner healer. And ask, what must die in me or in my life so that I find the courage to take the steps I am called to take? What must die in me so that I find the courage to take the steps I am called to take? So working with interpreting the messages from spirit is a challenge. I don't see how we're going to do this without the help of spirit, but I fully admit As someone who teaches shamanic practices that learning to interpret what the hell spirit is trying to tell us can sometimes be challenging. And then the second challenge is then to trust your interpretation and to use your wisdom as an everyday ordinary human being to figure out how the hell do I do that? How do I take this message from spirit and translate it into action in my life? And ideally, how do I do so in a way that is ultimately good for all living things? And so this this is the challenge of the moment that we are in. If we are to bring shamanism and shamanic skills into the movement and to make a change that will need to be sustained over many many months, maybe years, I don't know. But to make a change that reaches out to all of humanity and all of life on earth. And I know that sounds grand to be one person here speaking out into the internet radio ethers about changing the world. But really what we're talking about is simply changing humanity so we can scale it back from the whole world just to humanity. But we are changing humanity's relationship with everything just to name our task here. And traditionally in shamanism handed this sort of task to, to find out what does spirit have to say about what we, the people, need to do with our entire lives. You would never have a shaman just go do a journey and go, well, here's the answer, people, let's go do it. That there is an understanding that uh, the, uh, the greater the gravity of the answer, the more people that it affects, the more profoundly it would change the status quo of the way of life. The more the shaman would work with spirit to... To um, collaborate and to, to craft an answer so traditionally in some cultures the shaman would take the same question or set of questions and journey in their sacred space to get glean the answers and then journey in a sacred cave to glean the answers and then maybe journey at the ocean to glean the answers and maybe journey in another environment to glean the answers Sometimes shamans would gather. It's really kind of rare that shamans gathered, but sometimes in these, in these extreme times when the, the answers to the questions would affect everything uh, in the way that people understood what everything meant, shamans might journey together and bring their answers together and, and collaborate and create a collaborative answer. And this is one of the things that is not the strong suit of contemporary shamanism in America. But I think that we all need to come to understand that this is in our ancestors' shamanic traditions. To not only collaborate with other shamans and other people, to not only listen to the dreams of the children as prophetic, and to not only collaborate with nature by journeying in different places, and to not only collaborate with our ancestors as helping spirits who may have been in these situations before and could say, you know, don't make the mistakes that I made. That, that, that this kind of collaboration is actually where the type of answer we're looking for today came from spirit. Not just one person journey and go, hey, everybody, let's go do this. You know, that's much, much too risky because every single human, every single shaman is human after the first shaman and we are imperfect we have biases and we are interpreting the truths that we receive from spirit and so we need to work with that understanding about our journeys and and collaborate together to create an answer and this is one of the things we've worked on here diligently for 2008 9 10 11 four years now at last mass center is how do we as the people in this community collaborate around answers that we're, or questions that we're asking that, that the answers of which we will use to shape our community, the structure of our community and our culture. And that we do that through a collaborative process where multiple people journey on a question and we creatively work together to draw the essence of each journey and to bring together an answer that is not, not any one of the journeys answers, but is a creative Um, synergy of all of the answers to bring us to another level of answer that is probably closer to what spirit was trying to say in the first place we just couldn't get it so this this part of the show my point is simply to address some of the challenges in working with spirit if we are to seek the extraordinary if we are to manifest the extraordinary we will do so with spirit now, if we are to do so with spirit, we need to understand sort of the trials and tribulations and to find how, how effectively to find the strength in working with spirit. Um, and this, again, is not only all the things I just talked about, about working uh, collaboratively with each other with spirit and with nature, but back to the very beginning. Do your practice. Continue your own personal practice of clearing the lens, which is you, Clearing the lens through which you see things, including the answer Spirit's giving you. See, hear, feel, however you want to talk about it. So, that's an important part of the phase that we're in. If we truly are committing ourselves to restorative action, then we are also committing ourselves to co-creating with Spirit and with each other. And that that is found traditionally in shamanism, in this type of moment humanity is experiencing. So one of the few, because we're, we're new to this place in the movement, but one of the few places that I've seen a, um, a collaboratively created answer um, or response, not an answer, but a response to this time, um, is in a blog posted by William Horden, and he's the author of the Toltec I Ching and his, um, you can find this at the Toltec E Ching, T H E, the Toltec I Ching.com slash blog, um, is an answer from the Toltec I Ching. And it was the answer to the question what kind of ending will produce the best beginning for the coming 2012 age? So this is a response to the time. Um, and this has already been um, sifted and essentialized um, from several, uh, I don't know, readings or interpretations of the question. So it's one of the few um, messages from Spirit um, at this stage in the process that is actually created in this kind of collaborative way that I was just describing. And so I wanna share some from the Oracle, but I strongly um, encourage people to read the whole thing. It's it's really long. But it's very inspiring and very beautiful. And the Toltec I Ching is a beautiful divination tool. And um, I, I uh, said this. I'm reminded of a moment in the interview I did with William when the book came out. And um, the Toltec I Ching is available at Larson's Publications. And I said, Why? Uh, Being an old friend, I said to Bill, why the hell are you, you know, who are you to put the I Ching and Toltec wisdom together and make a new divination tool? What what makes you think that you can do that? And what he was really talking about is how the Toltecs and the Chinese at the time of the manifestation of the I Ching, each culture was at the time of creating these oracles – was at a time of true human flourishing and a true golden age and a true um, maturity of human experience in terms of humanity's uh, relationship with the spirit world and the natural world. And that these were times when human culture understood how to be here in a good way. And that these two wisdoms brought together, um, drawing from the peak of those two cultures, um, creates now a, a second um, oracle, a, a second thing that didn't exist, or third thing actually that didn't exist, and that I f- I feel personally for my own use in my own life at this time that this is one of the most profound divinatory tools at this time, that it is it, it does an exquisite job of drawing on the past, so drawing on ancient ancestral wisdom, and yet bringing it together in a way that is uniquely poised for contemporary time. And most divination tools are drawing the wisdom of the past period, whereas this – well, except for the uh, Voyager Tarot. But anyway, you get my point. Um, and so for me, because of the Toltec wisdom about the um, masculine and feminine energies, it speaks to the yin and the yang and it speaks to the Tao. But it speaks to it in a way that is human enough for me to understand how to take action. So that's my Pitch for the Toltec I Ching, which would be a great gift if you want to give gifts of meaning in this holiday season. So, wow, in the last few minutes, um, let me share a little bit of what the oracle has to say about this time. The oracle at- articulates a clear message of change moving from the present situation to the future. The first step is establishing a right kind of ending to this time of darkness. Um, And this then sets in motion the natural consequence of the future, which is restoring wholeness. Uh, This initial change that we are even now beginning to experience is entitled entering service and explicitly describes the 180-degree repolarization of our collective lifeway. The profundity of this change of worldview away from self-interest and towards self-sacrifice cannot be exaggerated so sudden and widespread as to resemble a positive virus, a desire to put the past behind us, is itself the specific trigger that activates the new beginning of restoring wholeness. The oracle continues later on in the, in the whole divination um, that there are two specific bridges between the present and the future situations. One warns against relying on precedence to move forward, indicating that past attitudes and behaviors must be set aside in favor of a bold new forward-thinking solutions the second bridge the other alerts us to the fact that at a last out oh, alerts us to the fact that a last hour attempt to maintain control will result in a clamping down on freedoms by authoritarian forces. Rather than securing their position, however, this is the last nail in the coffin of authoritarianism. Oppression has the unintended consequence of reminding people of their collective authority and power of self-governance. The oracle also points to a simultaneous, deeper, if no less widespread, change going on within individual consciousness. Like a forest fire... The heat of which ignites the trees in front of it before its flames reach them, a profound shift in awareness passes from person to person, building momentum as it grows and spreads among people everywhere with a spontaneity and velocity impossible to imagine beforehand. And this speaks to why, this is my little editorial, this speaks to why we can ask for the extraordinary. It is as though people everywhere simply tire of using the past as an excuse for continuing the inhumane treatment of human beings and the environment. The past is cast off. People share a common experience of exhilaration and finally breaking free of their imaginary limits and the combination of which triggers an authentic and lasting transformation of human nature. The oracle foresees then an opportunity for humanity to heal its long-standing wounds and restore itself both on the collective and individual level to original wholeness. Hand in hand with this social transformation, individuals everywhere are gripped in a corresponding metamorphosis, mem, that transforms the human psyche in a way that makes it more adaptable to the future. The two bridges that must be crossed if we are to authentically arrive on the far shore of this future are marked by throwing off the shackles of past thinking and throwing off the shackles of authoritarianism. So the journey then could be to the teacher leader in what way am i shackled to past thinking that i do not see or hear or feel and then follow that answer up with unshackling yourself another journey question to the teacher leader could be show me where i am righteous and positional in myself this will expose the shadow self who is the shadow of your own inner leader And that you must transform this energy within yourself through love and acceptance if you are to discover your own true leadership. And there are many blogs out there right now that I think are important that point out to this movement as a leaderful movement. That there will be no one charismatic person that steps up and leads us. But that this is about a rising up of the leader within each one of us and the ability to work in a circle together. Which leads us to the awareness we must hold throughout all of this that we are all one, and that is the greatest challenge uh, to move out from in our thinking to move out we need to move out from underneath all of the ways that we think about ourselves and the world that are not the belief that we are one. And in that, we must understand that we will each have to sacrifice personally and communally if we are to become the people we are called to be right now. And we must begin those sacrifices now. Um, I uh, posted or reposted a link to a wonderful um, presentation by a Native American woman in Oakland. And one of the things that she asks – she talks about Occupy and how from her perspective as an indigenous woman, the land has been occupied – this land, North America, has been occupied for 512 years. And, and that we need to change the word I – mean, she says many things and it's well worth looking at. But one of the things she says is we need to change the word Occupy if we want to include the nations of people who have been under occupation for 512 years. And I thought about that and I thought, well, yes – or calling the movement Occupy Wall Street has helped all of us to realize that we have been colonized and that we have been under occupation for at least 512 years. And so perhaps the name needs to change, perhaps it doesn't. Perhaps it is precisely what we need to call this, that we are all one, and all of this is a gift. And somehow we need to come to understand this and every single one of us, all of us, as we understand more accurately who we are, we, all the we's in the we, will have to sacrifice things that we may hold dear in our identity. So be prepared. For example, for me, it's important for me that I am able to continue to help to heal souls, including my own. It's not important to me that I'm still called a shaman. If someone in the we needs me to stop calling myself a shaman to join the party, then I'm happy to. But I will not stop my work. And so these are the things we need to come to understand within ourselves. What is essential to who we are that we cannot let go of or we are sacrificing the gift we've come to bring? And what is everything else? Everything else that is unnecessary and up for grabs and possibly available to be plowed under to create fertile soil for the world that is coming. There is a hidden hexagram in the oracle from the Toltec I Ching that speaks to the attitude and behavior needed to bring the future into being. And that hexagram is uprooting fear. So I invite you all to come to understand for yourself, how do you uproot fear? And you could journey to the warrior within yourself and ask, What fear stands in my way from becoming the person that I have come here to be? And how do I uproot that fear? There are many lessons that we've learned uh, moving the community at Last Mask Center into an ini based community, a community that operates through the movement of this energy of love and I will share them not because we certainly are guiding the way or know the way but because we are perhaps a little hologram of the larger whole no matter what you do no matter how you try to please everyone in the we you will not people will defect perhaps even those that appear closest to the heart of your movement remember that the issue isn't about pleasing everyone but about creating a system that supports all life that supports the generative principle. Others may claim to be the real Occupy movement and divert energy away from the path you feel is right and true. Remember that you must trust your relationship with spirit and with the select people that you choose to align with, that you trust, you must bring healing, leadership, warriorship and visionary energy to the table along with all of those who choose to go forward with you. There is a timing in moving forward and co-creating with spirit. And remember, if you hesitate in doubt or fear and outweigh that timing, then opportunities are missed. There will be another way that addresses the new circumstances, but what could have been will be lost. What you create will not be perfect or even close or all the way there. At best, it will be a good solid step in the process of creating a version of the new way. Remember that you and the work that you do is dedicated to the descendants and inspired by the ancestral helping spirits. It is not about you. It extends before you and after you. That you are simply the hands and the voice and the feet and the heart needed to make things manifest here in the world. You could journey to the inner visionary and ask, please show me the vision to free myself from the shackles of past thinking and authoritarianism. And now show me the doubt I must release from my heart to free myself from these shackles. You are the hands, the voice, the feet, and the heart needed to make things manifest here in the world. Free them. uproot your fear and give the courage in your heart the freedom to lead. Thank you, everyone. I want to give thanks to the ancestors for gathering around us here today. The earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Next week, we will explore abandonment and shamanic paths to healing life's abandonment experiences and how this crisis can lead to the blessing of fulfillment. Uproot your fear and give the courage in your heart the freedom to lead. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you for listening.